0: Let's take our Bibles and we're going to turn to the book of John, chapter 15. John 15 this morning. Our theme for the year that we introduced in January is the theme of abide. It comes from this passage of Scripture where Jesus commands us to abide in Him. We spent the first few weeks of the year uh, considering this subject, but. Just so you are familiar and aware, I don't necessarily preach along the lines of the, the annual theme every Sunday. Obviously, you know that. But I do think from time to time throughout the year, it's, it's good to kind of revisit the, the things that the Lord has led us to consider and to just be uh, part of our, our annual uh, I think all of us ought to have something we're driving toward and growing, and as a church, there's a truth that we're trying to emphasize throughout the year, and so this concept of abiding in Christ, is, uh, it's, it's showed up several different times in the preaching as we've talked about issues such as walking in the Spirit and being filled with the Spirit, and, and uh, all of these things connect together, of course, but here I want to just kind of come back to John 15, and consider some verses of scripture that we have not really touched on too much uh, as we've considered this subject of abiding in Christ. And so if you're in John 15, if you wouldn't mind standing one last time as we read our text this morning, if you are able to do that, I invite you to. John 15, Jesus has been speaking about himself as the true vine and that we are the branches. He's admonished us to abide in him and If you look at verse number 7, it says, If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. And then I want you to pay close attention to verse 10. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. These things I command you, that ye love one another. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this morning as we look into your word, we need your help. We need your help to understand it. We need your help to apply it and to be able to live it in our lives. And I need your help to be able to preach it. I pray, Lord, that you would just enable me today to clearly communicate the truth of your word, and particularly in this passage. And may we find ourselves today in submission to you and your word. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Thank you for standing. Well, this passage, of course, is not unfamiliar to any of us uh, that have been around here very much this year, as we've referenced it several times. Jesus is speaking to his disciples. He's giving them an illustration. The illustration is this. He says, uh, he's making reference to a vineyard. He says, I'm the true vine. He said, you're the branches. Those of us who are in Christ, we are connected to him just as a branch is connected to a vine. And the whole concept of the first several verses and what we've really emphasized throughout the year is this statement that he said in uh, verse number 4. He said, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself except to abide in the vine. No more can ye except ye abide in me. And then the end of verse number 5 says, for without me ye can do nothing. We realize that we have to be in Christ, not only positionally in Christ through salvation, but abiding, remaining faithful in Him in order that He can live through us. And we've talked about many verses of Scripture that bear that out. For instance, as Paul talked in Galatians 2, in verse 20, he said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Again, the idea being, it's no longer I that am doing it. When I try to follow the Lord and obey the Lord, what I actually need is not just the efforts of my flesh, I need him to flow through me. I need him to use me. I need the Spirit of God working in me. And so Jesus is saying, abide in me. And I just want to say for a moment here that We need to remember that this doesn't have anything to do with our salvation. Sometimes people maybe read this and get the idea that Jesus is saying... ...if we're not careful uh, to keep ourselves uh, in Him... ...that somehow we can fall away and lose our salvation. But that actually wouldn't align with the rest of Scripture... Because the Bible clearly tells us, in fact, Jesus himself said just a few chapters earlier, he said, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, they follow me. And he said, I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. The Bible tells us in First in Peter that we are kept by the power of God unto salvation. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit, according to Ephesians chapter. Number four, so we find that actually uh, we cannot lose our salvation. So when Jesus is saying, abide in me, he's not saying, be careful that you don't lose the grace that I've given to you and that you would be eternally condemned. That's not what he's saying. This passage is not about eternal salvation. This passage is about bearing fruit. This passage has to do with us being productive, if I can put it that way, and being what we ought to be in Christ. I believe that there are many, many people who claim the name of Christ and maybe are even truly born again, but they are not productive in Him. Their lives are not a reflection of what God desires for them. And so we need to be in Christ. We need to keep ourselves in fellowship with Him that He may work in us and through us. He said in verse number 9 of this passage, He says, As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. By the way, just stop there for a moment and consider the reality and the truth of that. We have God, who is one God, existing in three persons. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All three are one. And this, within this Godhead, within this Trinity, there is perfect unity. There is perfect love between them. And Jesus here is referring to the Father, and He says, As the Father has loved me... So have I loved you. Folks, I want you to know that's an incredible kind of love. If if you are a child of God this morning, you should never feel unloved. Because God loves you. But notice that he says at the end of that, Continue ye in my love. Again, some people might read that and say, I've got to do a certain thing in in order that God would continue loving me. But actually, that's not at all what he's saying. He's saying, I want you to walk in the love that I have for you. How many of you here are parents? You know that the love that you have for your children... ...it's not based upon their performance, is it? I love my children when they do right... ...and when they obey and when they honor me... ...and I love them just as much even when they don't. Now, I may not approve of their behavior and their actions... ...but that doesn't affect my love for them. But my love for them... ...does cause them or should cause them to want to do right and to please me. And this is what, what Jesus is saying, continue in my love. It's a similar concept to what, uh, what we're told in the book of Jude. He said that we are to keep ourselves in the love of God. We, we are to keep ourselves basically walking in his love and obedience to him. And I, I, I emphasized earlier as we read our text, verse number 10... Where Jesus says, if ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love. So as we consider this concept of abiding in Christ, abiding in the love of Christ, I want to emphasize today the aspect of abiding, that is the aspect of obedience. In this passage of scripture, Jesus mentions a couple of times the importance of keeping his commandments. Sometimes I think that if we're not careful, uh, because we believe so strongly in eternal security, that once you're saved, you're always saved, you're kept by God's power. But because we believe that so strongly, that sometimes we put such an emphasis on that, that we almost give the impression to others, or maybe even to ourselves, that I'm saved and I'm in Christ and all my sins are under the blood, therefore... It doesn't really matter how I live because God still loves me and I'm still on my way to heaven and so, yeah, I should be obedient to the Lord but it's not that big of a deal when I sin. I want you to know you're not going to read the Bible and come away with that conclusion because even though we are eternally forgiven of our sin and all of that is under the blood and Christ paid for our sin, folks, we are still expected... To keep God's commandments. To walk in obedience to him. And and, and just as he says, as the father has loved me, so have I loved you. This incredible, unconditional kind of love. The expectation is, in the same way that I have kept my father's commandments. You need to keep my commandments. Now I want to ask you, friend. How did Jesus keep his father's commandments? Well, he said, in one place, I do always those things which please him. He said in chapter 9 of this same book, of John chapter 9, verse number 4, he said, I must work the works of him that sent me. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day, the night cometh, when no man can work. And actually, if you'd hold your place here in John chapter 15, go back with me, if you would, to the book of Luke. In chapter 2, I want to show you that Jesus, even as a young man, When he had come to this earth, we read in Luke 2, not only of his birth, but also the one glimpse that we get into his childhood or his life before ministry as it began. His parents had gone to Jerusalem, as they did every year to keep the feast, and when they went to depart and leave, they apparently went with a caravan of people and assumed that Jesus was with them, but he wasn't, and he stayed in Jerusalem. Jerusalem stayed in the temple and was interacting with the people in the temple. You know the story and what happened there. Mary and Joseph frantically came looking for him. It took them several days to find him. And then then it says in verse number 48 of Luke 2, And when they saw him, they were amazed. And his mother said unto him. So here's Mary speaking to Jesus. His mother said unto him, Son... Why hast thou thus dealt with us? I don't think Mary fully understood who Jesus was. Why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Now, it's interesting to me, one of the things that you might notice is that Mary refers to Joseph as Jesus' father. But notice what Jesus says in verse number 49. And he said unto them, how is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not, or didn't you know, wist ye not that I must be about my father's business? Notice the capital F on father. It's almost as though Jesus is saying to his earthly mother, Mary, he's saying to her, listen, you are calling Joseph my father, but you have forgotten that Joseph is not my father. God the Father is my Father, and I must be about His business. This was Jesus' attitude. Though He was in subjection to earthly authority, He was always aware and, 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 and constrained and driven by one reality and one consciousness. My Father's will comes before everything else. And now he is saying to us in John chapter 15, verse 10, If ye keep my commandments, ye abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. He's saying, I want you to be as committed to obeying me as I am committed to obeying my Father. There's a phrase that's used at times in reference to motivation and drive to obey the Lord. And that word is constrain. 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 14, it says, For the love of Christ constraineth us. What's he saying? The the, the love of Christ, the the love that has been shed upon us by the blood of Christ that that He's poured out for our sins, the, the love that He gave us in saving our souls... Is now constraining. It's motivating. It's moving us to walk in obedience to Him. This this word it it, it has this connotation to it of of, of it, it, it kind of reminds me of this idea of. Uh, a cattle chute. I don't know how many of you have ever worked with cattle, but if you go to load them on a truck or a trailer or something, uh, one of the best ways to do that is if you have a chute a, a that can go into the back, you back the trailer up to it, and then you kind of herd the cattle, they're in their corral, and you, you, you bring them down into a smaller and smaller area until there's only one way that they can go, because they're pressed in on both sides, they're walled in on both sides, there's only one direction they can go. They're constrained. And folks, that really is uh, to be what what we are in Christ. Now that I have been saved, now that I'm a child of God, now that I am in His love, I am am abiding in the vine, I am constrained to obey, to walk in obedience to Him. Acts chapter 8 and verse number 5, I'd encourage you to maybe look it up at another time. It speaks of Paul being pressed in the Spirit. It's the same word for constrained. There, there was just something that was moving him, there was something that was motivating him that was beyond his own power, beyond his own desires even, and he was now constrained, he was pressed in the spirit to obey the Lord. We could even look at Jeremiah in chapter 20, where Jeremiah, because of intense persecution that he had faced, uh, he said, uh, basically, I, I, I decided that I wasn't going to speak anymore in your name, Lord, I decided I was done, I had quit the ministry, I was out, I, I don't want to face this persecution anymore. But then this is his testimony, he says, but thy word was in me, Jeremiah 20 verse 9, thy word was in me as a burning fire shut up in my bones. And he says, I was weary with forbearing and I could not stay. You know what he's saying? God, I did everything I could not to obey you because I didn't like what what that was producing. I didn't like the persecution, the resistance that I was facing. And so I decided I was done. But there was something in me that would not let me. There was something in me that wouldn't let me quit. Something in me that wouldn't let me not obey you. I was driven, I was constrained, I was pressed. Just as Jesus said, I must work the works of him that sent me. I must be about my father's business. Folks, there ought to be something in every sincere child of God that says I have to obey him. There's just something that's driving me. I, 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 I want to know him. I want to please him. I want to obey him. And even if it's not exactly what I would choose for myself, I, I, I just can't do anything else. Jesus said, keep my commandments and abide in my love. So often, I fear we downplay the importance of obedience in the life of a Christian, but obedience is the natural outflow of abiding in Christ. This is why Galatians 5 and verse 16 says, Walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. I cannot be walking in the Spirit and sin at the same time. It doesn't doesn't work. In fact, the second I sin, I know I quit walking in the Spirit. Because when I'm walking in the Spirit, when I'm abiding in Christ, when I'm allowing Him to control me, there's something that is constraining me, that's keeping me in obedience to Him. He says, Abide in me, keep my commandments. He said it again in verse number 14. Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. There was a constraint. But I want to show you that there are also consequences. These are good consequences, by the way, to abiding in Christ and walking in obedience to Him. Let's look at verses 10 and 11 together. It says, if you keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. Do you know what the outcome is? What the greatest consequence is of obeying God? Joy. Now, here, here's the funny thing about that many times we don't obey God because we are convinced that we would be happier doing something else I know this is what God wants me to do I know what his word says but this was me for so many years as as a teenager um, I knew the Bible I was saved I even had a desire somewhere deep down in me to please the Lord But the things of the world interested me. The things of the world were drawing me, you know, and and, and I was just, I I was enamored by them. And it felt like if I do this, it's going to be more fun. Let me give you an example. If my friends are drinking, and number one, I like these people, I want them to be my friends. Number two, it looks like they're having a good time. So I'm going to drink with them. I know that God's told me not to. That's very clear in his word. But I'm going to drink with them because it looks like fun and I want to be friends with these people. You know what I was convincing myself? I would be happier if I disobeyed God. Every time you sin, that's what you do. In your mind, you convince yourself, I'll be happier if I disobey God. Someone cuts you off in traffic and you get angry. And you think, man, I'm going to to tell this guy off. Or I'm just going to sit here and and be angry. Or your wife says something to you and you fly off the handle at her. You get angry. You know what you're telling yourself? In that moment, I know what God has told me to do and how he's told me to respond. But I think I would feel better if I just gave in to this temptation. What are you convincing yourself? I'd be happier if I disobeyed God. Jesus said, the things that I've commanded you, if you will obey these things, if you will keep my commandments... I'm writing to you that you might have joy and not just temporary happiness. He says, my joy. And he said that my joy would remain in you. How many of you have ever found out that sin is only pleasureful, or there's only pleasure in sin for a season? There's a time period where it feels good and then it leaves you empty and guilty and broken. Sometimes, that's very momentary. Sometimes it might last even a little bit, a little while, but eventually you're going to find the pleasures of sin only last for a season. And actually you're worse off at the end of it. Jesus said, "The things that I have written to you, the, the things that I have commanded you, I have done this for your own good, so you might have joy and abiding joy in your life. This is is the reality for the Christian. You cannot be happy as a child of God if you are not abiding in Christ and walking in Him. Walking in obedience to His word. The most miserable place for a Christian. And when I say Christian, understand, I'm talking about a born-again child of God. The most miserable place that you can be is out of God's will. In disobedience to His will and His word. It's awful. You can't have joy there. But you'll find that as you obey the Lord and you abide in Him, there's joy. We sing about that, joy unspeakable and full of glory. Fullness of joy. This is what God wants to give us. Listen, young people, can I say this? God is not hiding happiness from you. The world will try to convince you that, you know, oh, if you obey the Bible, if, if, if you just follow God... Uh, you're going to miss out on so many things the world has to offer. It's a lie. The world has nothing to offer. It's empty and futile. It's worthless. But Christ said, if you'll keep my commandments, understand I've written these things so that you might have joy, fullness of joy, that that joy might abide in you. Let me also say this, the, the opposite side of that is if you can live your life away from God and away from His will and not walking in obedience to Him, and you're comfortable in that, you're happy in that, that's pretty telling of where you are spiritually. Because you cannot have joy as a Christian and walk in disobedience to God. So one of the consequences of walking in obedience to the Lord, abiding in Him in that way, is joy. Secondly, I want to show you that there's fellowship with God. Fellowship with God. Notice what he says. Verse number 14, he says, Ye are my friends, if ye do whatsoever I command you. Then he says, Henceforth I call you not servants. For the servant knoweth not what his Lord doeth, but I have called you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. What's he saying? As you abide in me, as you walk in obedience to me, you have fellowship with me. I'm thankful that when I gave my life to Christ and I became His servant, that I didn't just become this slave this robot who had to do exactly what god said and never understand and 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 just you know sir yes sir and never see the outcome now there are times that god doesn't reveal to me why he's doing something but the reality is that as i walk in obedience to the lord you know what i have i have fellowship with him there's communion he says i'm not you're not just a servant you're a friend." 1 John verse, chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, it tells us if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. If we're walking in his light, we have fellowship. I'm thankful that God is not just my master and my Lord, he's also my friend. He says, I'm not not treating you just as servants, I'm treating you as friends, and and I'm making known to you the things that that I'm doing, the fellowship with God. Friend, don't you want to have fellowship with God? For Him to be your friend. I'll tell you this, there was a time in my life, even as a saved individual, that I, I remember being in church and singing songs about Christ being my friend, and thinking, what does that really mean? He's my friend. Oh, how I love Jesus, and I would think to myself, do I really love him? I mean, I'm thankful I'm not going to hell, but do I love him? Fellowship with him. Abide in Him. Learn what it means to be friends. Moses was called the friend of God. Man, if I could be called the friend of God. <laughs> he said, I'm not, I, I've not called you servants. I've called you friends. Then I want you to notice verse 16. He says, you have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you. That you should go and bring forth fruit. And that your fruit should remain. He said, the purpose of this is that your joy might be full. The purpose of this is that we might have fellowship with one another. But the purpose of this is that you might bear fruit. That your life would bring forth that which God wants it to bring forth. And not only that it would be temporary, but that your fruit would remain. And then notice in the end of that verse, he says that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. In other words, as we abide in him, we find that he answers our prayer. Whatever we ask in his name is granted. Now you say, how is that? Because I've prayed for things before that didn't come to pass, so this must not be true. Well, understand, as you're abiding in Christ, and He's flowing through you, what's going to happen is your desires are going to start to align with His desires. And as you ask in His name, those things begin to become a reality. I'm thankful that God has promised to hear and to answer our prayers. And, And folks, I don't believe we... We've even begun to scratch the surface in understanding the power that is available at our, at our disposal if we would simply pray and ask in Him and through Him, abiding in Him. You say, okay, so these things sound great. To be constrained to obey Him and the outcome, the consequences of that, to have joy and fellowship with God and To have answered prayer and to be fruitful and all of these things that God wants, these good things that God provides, this sounds great. What what does it mean when he says, keep my commandments? Maybe the first thing that comes to your mind is some specific directive that the Lord has given. Well, maybe I'm not in fellowship with God. Maybe I don't have joy because I haven't been witnessing. Maybe I don't have joy because I haven't been tithing. Maybe I don't have the things that that God wants for me to have and, and, and to be, because you know, I I sometimes get angry or sometimes I lie. And so because I've sinned, because I haven't perfectly obeyed God's commandments, therefore these promises don't apply to me. Well, let me just let's just level the playing field here. If these promises only applied as we perfectly execute God's will and plan, all of us would have to say they don't apply to me. Because we all sin. We've all broken God's commandments. Every single day I have something that I need to say, Lord, would you forgive me for this? Every day I sin. So I guess these promises don't apply to me. No, that's not the the point. Here's the point. He's calling us to abide in Him. And He's given us commands. The first command, Jesus made it clear, did He not? That the first and greatest commandment is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. And yet, let's be honest, I can't love God in the way that I ought to. And And sometimes I love other things more than God. And I put other things before Him in my life. But what did he say? As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. Abide. Abide in me that, I, that you might love me as you ought. And so, even when it comes to some of those issues, think about this. Issues like, okay, I need to be a witness for Christ. Issues like, I'm taught in the scriptures to tithe and to give. In all of these places, I know I need to be reading my Bible. I need to pray. I need to do all of these things. But understand that the issue is not all of these little things I do or don't do. The issue is my love for Him. And if I will love Him, these things will start to happen in my life. And then he says, look at uh, verse number 12. What What is the commandment of Christ? He says, that we're to keep his commandments, he says, this is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Okay, I, I need to show kindness. I need to offer forgiveness. I need to not lie. I need to not covet. I need to honor my father and my mother. I need to obey these commandments. Thou shalt not steal. Thou shalt not commit adultery. All of these things, right? And yet Jesus said, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love thy neighbor as thyself, on these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. In other words, if you got these things down, all the little ins and outs of that are going to just kind of work themselves out. Okay, so now let's just take another step back and say this. If I will abide in Christ, I will love Him. If I will abide in Him, I can love you. And so this issue comes back to, Lord, how how can I walk in obedience to you? I walk in obedience as I let you live through me. He says, I want you to love, uh, abide in my love as I have loved you. I want you to love one another as I have loved you. We are not the example of love. He is. And so he's inviting us. This is what he's doing. He's inviting us to remain To walk in Him so that He can live out through us what we cannot do ourselves. How is our love for God proven? Well, it's proved out through our obedience, right? It's proved out through our action. How is our love for others proven? Well, it also requires action. It requires service. It requires sacrifice. But it all comes back to one thing. Abide in me. I want you to notice verse number 16. This is so important. He says, you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you. Why is that important? Sometimes we avoid verses like this because we don't want to sound like Calvinists. The Calvinist says only, only those who are chosen elect can be saved. Christ only died for the elect. Everyone else, God just sends them to hell because they're sinners and they, they never had a chance to be saved. Folks, that, that's not biblical doctrine. The gospel is a whosoever gospel. Christ died for all. But I want you to know this, if you are saved, you are part of a group that the Bible calls the elect. What does that mean? It means God is chosen. How all of this works, I don't claim to fully understand. I will be the first to admit there are things in the Bible that I can't wrap my mind around. How the the Trinity works, my mind is too small to grasp how... One God can exist in three persons, and they work together in perfect unity, yet it's just one God, one being. My mind can't fully grasp it, but that's what the Bible teaches, so we accept it as fact and we live on it, right? Man's free will and God's sovereignty, how these things fit together, my mind can't fully wrap around it, but that's what the Bible teaches, so we believe it, we stand on it. But understand this, if you are here today a child of God, you can say with absolute confidence, "It's not. I'm not saved because of me. I'm not saved because I went looking for God. Sometimes we'll even use that terminology, oh, I found the Lord. No, you didn't find the Lord, He found you. There's no man that seeketh after God. Uh, We we don't. We don't seek after him. He seeks after us. He calls us. He draws us. And here's what he's saying. You have not chosen me, but I've chosen you. Why does this matter? Because it's not like our salvation was dependent on us. Why would we think our sanctification is dependent on us? Why would we think it's our efforts that are going to make us right with God? They can't. And so this teaching is wrapped up in the idea: you need me, and, and, and this is what Jesus is saying: you need me to do this through you. So this morning, the the, the the message really is is twofold. Number one: Are you obeying God? Are you subject to the commands of His Word? Is your life? living out the things that God expects of you. And number two, understand this, the only way that that can be true of you is as you submit to Him and allow Him to do it through you. Because we can't. Abide in me and I in you. This morning I just want to take a moment and consider God has things planned for us. God has desires for our lives that we could never imagine. Eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. There are things that God wants to do in your life and in my life that go beyond what our imagination could ever even dream up. But the only way that we can realize those things is as we yield and submit, and walk in obedience to him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father.